Welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. Time goes fast, doesn't it? And so today we want to talk about, in this series, the most important thing I want to talk to you about, the idea that time is not on our side. Y'all remember that old song, time is on our, yeah, it's not. And so there's some things we need to know about that so that we can be everything that God wants us to be in the process of our life. And so today I want to talk to you about that. We're going to take our scripture, Mark chapter 12, verse 30 in the NIV. You'll see it up on the screen. We're going to take two texts today. One is for the series. The other is more specifically for this message today. But Mark chapter 12, verse 30 says this in the NIV. Love the Lord your God. Read it with me. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. And, you know, we always know what the next part of that verse is. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then Psalms chapter 90, verse 12 in the NLT version, if you'll read it with me. Everyone read this. Teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. There's another translation that says it this way. God, teach us to number our days. And so it's important. It's an important thought. Father, we just come to you asking for the anointing of your Holy Spirit on this message today. God, I know that that this is not about me and it's not about my skill or my ability to communicate, but God, it's about your anointing. It's about your Holy Spirit revealing to us what it is you're trying to say. So I invite you right now, Father, to minister to every life. God, we're all here. We all just worshiped you. Now open up our hearts and open up our minds and open up our lives so that we can receive what it is you want to say to us. God, because we don't want to leave here the same that we came. We want every time we encounter you to come out different. We want to be better. We want to be more like you. We want to be conformed in the image of your son because we know our life matters and it matters to those who need us. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And it matters for the advancement of your kingdom. And so we commit ourselves to that today. And everybody said, amen, amen. You could be seated. Man, God is good, amen? God is good. I'm so glad to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Man, it's a good place to be. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're looking good. To me, like, that is really awkward for me to say to the person I'm sitting next to. I feel odd about it. Well, say it to yourself then. Just pull a mirror out of your purse or your back pocket or your phone and just look at yourself and say, man, you're looking good today. Sometimes you need to tell yourself that. How many of <laughs> you realize? And, and you, need to, you need to speak good things over yourself because you've got plenty of things to say that aren't good. Amen. Uh, I want want to talk to you today about this idea of God being the most important thing in our life and that we are to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then I also want to talk to you about the idea of what that means to us in a day-to-day walk with him. So what I'm going to teach you today is going to be very practical, and I would encourage you to take notes. 
I would encourage you to uh, really lean into this because I believe it's going to speak to you in a significant way. Another way to say what this passage says, know the brevity of life, is to say this, seize the day. Y'all all heard that phrase, seize the day. We have days in front of us and we have an opportunity to take hold of them and live them on purpose for the purpose of God. Or we can just let life happen and hope things turn out well. And the truth is, God doesn't want us to live by fate. God wants us to live by faith. There's a big difference. When we just allow life to happen to us, that's living by faith. Whatever happens, happens. If you're old enough, you remember that old saying, que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. And that's the way we live our life most of the time. We, we schedule our life in weird and strange ways. Most of us, we look at our schedule, we have all this stuff we want to do, and then we just try to shove all that into here. There's no level of importance, no level of priority. It's just like we got to do all that, and we're going to put it here so that we can get it done. And the truth is, we end up doing a lot of things that have very little meaning. We end up being involved in a lot of things that have no purpose. And we're living a life that sadly and unfortunately many who've gone before us look back on that kind of living and back on that kind of life, and they regret the things that they didn't do. And so my job as a pastor, and especially for the purpose of the kingdom of God and the advancement of his kingdom, is to teach you how to seize the days of your life so that they mean something and so they have significance and so that they are connected to the kingdom and purpose of God. Amen? Um, another way to say it is seize the day. You know, uh, Janae and I, uh, we're getting a little older, and uh, we're over 50 now a li- by a little bit. What? Would you say just me? I'm the only one getting older? <clears throat> okay, whatever. Uh, but we're, we're a little bit over. We're still in our early 50s, and we say that with pride. We're in our early 50s. But I noticed when we get, when we get 40 and 50, things begin to change. How many of you are in that age group and you realize things begin to change? And your physical body begins to change. You'll hurt for things. You know, I've, you know, when I was young, I used to do things and it would hurt. Like I would go play football. I'd get an injury. It would hurt. I, would, I was on a job one time. I pulled too much weight and my back was hurt. But I've noticed that I'm f- over 50 now and I can do those same kind of injuries leaning over and tying my shoes. It, I'm not kidding. Like the other day I was putting my shoe on and my back was out for two days. I'm like, what? How can this possibly be? So when you get older, things change. And Janae and I had this experience the other night that was so funny. We, you know, when you get older also, when you go to bed at night, you don't just go to bed and then wake up in the morning. How many realize this? You go to bed and then you make several trips to the restroom in the middle of the night. Well, I try to stop drinking anything about 5 o'clock because I know what's coming. I'm going to be up in the back and forth. We are like ships passing in the night, literally. I told Janae one time, I said, look, it's dark in our room. Don't run into me. I will beat you down thinking you're a robber. It, you just, you'll scare me to death. So literally, we're, we're walking back and forth. And the other night, I got up, went to the restroom. I came back. She got up, went to the restroom. And she came back. And for some reason, she leaned over to me and she said, well, that was intermission. <laughs> we, we died laughing. I said, well, you didn't bring me any popcorn. And then we just went back to sleep. 
So that's the other thing too, because when you get older, you can just lay down and go sleep. Like I'll get, I sit down in my recliner and just, I'll think I'm awake watching the show and just end up being asleep. I'm like, how did I get to sleep? It's because you're old, man. But some of you may be old enough to remember. How many of you are old enough to remember when you went to the movies and there was intermission at the movies? Now, you've always been to the theater, like, go see a play, and there's intermission because it's so long. And, but, but they used to have intermission at the movies. In the middle of the movies, a little cartoon would come on. It said, go get some popcorn or some little character would dance across the screen. Then everybody would get up, and for a few minutes, you'd go out to the 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 the, the the, the concession stand, you get your stuff, and then you come back in and then restart the movie. And uh, that seems like that was just not that long ago. Sydney being born 21 years ago, that seems like that wasn't that long ago. Janae and I getting married that 34 years ago, that seems like not that long ago. Life is, moves at a rapid pace. And I fear that one of the problems that we have is that we have decided that the way to fix that feeling of rapidly moving through life is to add as much to life as we possibly can instead of the opposite of stepping back from some things and learning how to effectively manage our life spiritually. Because the truth is, whether we realize it or not, the truth is, whether we realize it or not, is that the, all of the things that we find ourselves doing, the way we manage our life, the purpose of or lack of purpose of our life has a spiritual connotation to it. It's not just about life. It's about spiritual things. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, you don't really need to tempt a Christian to be immoral to stop them from the purpose of God in their life. All you merely need to do is keep them busy. If we find ourselves not managing our lives according to the purpose of God, not walking our lives out according to the community of faith, allowing the church to be that community, we're going to talk more about this later in the month, but, but the reality is what, what happens is we, we create the church as an event. We, in our minds, we create this idea that our spiritual life is an event, not an ongoing lifestyle or an ongoing relationship, which is what it really is. But if we minimize it to that one moment or that one event or that one time or that I got to get up and do the, the, do the list and check the list, if we create that as the way we do our spiritual walk, we're missing the whole point. The whole point of Christianity is to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and a relationship is an ongoing, growing, intimate connection with the person of God. And so everything that we do and everything that we are should flow and proceed from that. If we look at Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1 through 8 in the New Living Translation, it says this, For everything there is a reason, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to harvest, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to grieve and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to turn away. A time to search and a time to quit searching. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be quiet and a time to speak. A time to love, a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. And 
the way we are as humans and the way we live our lives now in this very advanced technological age in which we live, we've taken all those different seasons and pushed them and shoved them into the context of our individual lives and try to do it all right now. And it just cannot be done and your soul be okay. The most important thing is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, which is total surrender to him. That's what loving God is. It's totally surrendering to him. Jesus described loving God this way. He said, if you love God, you will keep his commandments. Now, I don't think he was just saying that conditionally. In other words, I, wasn't, I don't think he was just saying, if you want to prove that you love God, keep his commandments. That's part of it. But I think what he was truly saying is when you love God, when you truly love him, when your heart is in adoration of him, when you think of him and your heart is inspired, when you think of him and your life is engaged, you, 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 you are in connection with God in that way, what happens is, you obey him because you love him. I want to do that because it's what my father thinks is best for me. Right? And so I think that's what we have to learn. Love equals obedience. Everybody say that with me today. Love equals obedience. Obedience with your whole self. He didn't just say love the Lord your God, period. He said love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So the reason that makes that the most important thing is because he's saying before anything else, before family, before other relationships, before career, before uh, finances, before anything else, love God with all your heart, obey God with all your heart, uh, minister praise and worship to God with all your heart. This is what he's saying to us. That's what love means. That's what love is. And this type of worldview, and when we approach life as a believer, this is wisdom. Because here's what it's saying. It's saying, I'm stewarding my life. I'm not the owner of my life. Jesus is my owner. The Bible literally says, you were bought with a price. You are not your own. If you're a believer in this place today, and you're wondering, can I really surrender to God? It is the natural occurrence of your spiritual walk. Because you have been bought with a price. Jesus doesn't enslave you by force, but you are what in Jewish terms is called a bond servant or a love servant. It's a, it's a servant that served in, in a person's home and maybe they were trying to work off a debt or they were trying to pay for a debt and so they were serving a, a family. And when that, that, that person who had been called a master in their life was so kind to them and so loving to them and treated them like they were family and blessed them the whole time they were there, they would just say, look, I don't want to stop being your servant. I'm just going to commit myself to you for life. And out of love for you, I'm going to serve you. See, we're not sons and daughters that have to serve. We're servants that get the privilege of being sons and daughters. God is so good to us, and we want to serve him because we love him. This, this type of worldview gives us that understanding of stewardship. And so if we're going to be good stewards, we need to understand, listen, stewardship is about taking care of something for someone else. So if stewardship is I'm taking care of something because God's the owner and I'm the manager of it, then I need to understand there's a lot of things in my life that I need to steward well. So God gives us a family, and he gives us a family to steward. 
God gives us a relationship with him to steward, to manage. God gives us our finances. Why do we give tithes and offerings? Because we're giving back to God what belongs to him. You know, the Bible declares that's not yours. We feel so like we did something. We were generous to God when we give our tithes. The tithes wasn't yours to begin with. It's God's. Are you, are you with me? So we're, we're just saying, God, you've given me so much. I'm going to give back to you what you've asked of me. Right? And what am I doing? I'm managing what God has given me. My kids, I'm managing them. But do you know what the greatest com commodity we have in this life? The greatest commodity we have? It's not money. It's not relationship. It's not people. Our greatest commodity, the thing that's most important to us, the thing that we often have the least of or we think we have the least of, is time. And I just got to be honest with you, ladies and gentlemen, myself included, and everybody in this room, we're not doing too good with this. This is not something we're stewarding as well as we should. We need to get a grip and stop and think about how do I do better at managing the time that God has given me. Because here's the thing about time. You don't really know how much you have. Now, here's what we do know. We know everybody has the same amount of time while on this earth. You and I have the same amount of 24 hours a day. We have 365 days a year. We have the same minutes and seconds in a day. We all have been given the same amount of time on this earth. But we don't know when our time on this earth is over. The Bible says in Hebrews that it's given for every man wants to die and then face God. Listen, we know there's a time coming. We don't know where that time is. But here's what we know. We can steward the time we have before. Before that time comes so that when we pass from this place into eternity, we can be ready for what God wanted us to be ready for. Amen. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to talk to you the, the next few minutes about three ways to seize the day or three ways to realize the brevity of life so you can gain wisdom. All right. You ready? Everybody say three ways. Number one. Seize the day by setting your time by God's clock. How many are results-oriented persons in here? You're results-oriented. You like to see results. I'm a person who loves to see results. And how many of you, when you want something, you want it? How many of you can raise your You're American. Raise your hand. Stop acting like and it seems like that we try to take our Western worldview and overlap the way God works with it. We don't really understand the way God's timing works. And so we want to try to put our way of thinking on top of Y'all do realize that Jesus wasn't born here, right? The Bible didn't come together from a bunch of Westerners and people in America. Y'all looking at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. You realize that, right? That this book was put together by God himself through men, and these men were from the Middle East. And so a lot of the ways they think are different than the ways we think. And God thinks differently than the way we think. This is why God gave us so many principles to live by so that we could align our life with his purpose and with his plan for our lives. So the first thing is seize the time by setting your time by God's clock. Quit trying to make God fit on your time. We're constantly saying, God, here's what I need from you. And then we, whether consciously or subconsciously, say, and this is when I need it. 
Come on, am I the only one that does that? Am I the only one that says, God, please help me? I need help right now, and I need it to be in 24 hours. I don't care. I did it myself, Lord. Yes, I did it myself, but I need you to come through for me in the next 30 minutes because I have really messed this up. Or we're praying and believing God to do something in our lives, and we just expect it to be done when we think it needs to be done. This is why the Bible says one of the fruit of the Spirit is long-suffering. It means to suffer long. Y'all, it means to wait. And patience, as it is as is in the context of scripture is not just waiting it's waiting with faith it's waiting with this active faith that says i'll do everything i know to do right now until god moves this is why the bible said uh, god said to moses be still and know that i am god in other words he didn't tell moses just to stop doing everything he was doing he just said be still in other words in your mind in your heart in your way of thinking stop trying to make me fit in your box and allow me to do my will in your life and sometimes i fear that some of us have been asking god for certain things and he doesn't do it in our time and we give up our faith for that thing right before he's ready to release it to us and we walk away from it god's timing is not like our timing we should not ask god to work on our time frame but we should surrender to his time frame why why? Because God is your father. And the Bible doesn't just say he's your father. It says he is a benevolent father, which means he's a father that likes to do good things for his kids. How many of y'all understand the favor of God? That God, when God gives you his grace, he's giving you favor. In other words, he's saying, I favor you. I want good things for you. I want your life to prosper. I want it to be blessed. Not just in the sense of finances. Also, that can fit in the context. But mostly in the sense of peace and unity with the will of God and purpose in the will of God. He's saying, I will prosper you. I will bless it. I will put my hand upon it. Why? Because he's your dad. There's a scripture in Romans chapter 8, verse 15. that says, we've not been given the spirit of bondage again to fear. But we've been given the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. That word Abba in, in, in the Latin is, is very clear, or in the Aramaic, it's very clear. It means daddy. It doesn't mean father. Like when I came home from work or come home from work and my kids were little, I opened up the door, my children weren't sitting there going, Father, we greet you with a holy kiss. They weren't doing that. They were like, Hey, Dad, what's up? And when we read that scripture in Romans chapter 8, verse 15, that's what God is saying to us. He's saying, I'm your dad, and I love you, and I want good things for you. And some of us haven't had that good experience physically, so we kind of relate God as this mean-spirited, hateful father that just wants to mess with you. And that is not God's nature or his desire for your life. He loves you, and he wants to do good things for you. And so when God says, this is the right time for this, you need to be good with that because his time is better than your time. Amen. When you say, God, I need you to do this for me. And he says, well, I'm going to do something for you, but this is really what needs to be done. You need to say, thank you, Jesus, that it didn't turn out exactly like I wanted it to turn out because it's not as good as what God did for me. Are you hearing me? If we can get that, if we, listen, if we can get that in our heart and really understand that, man, it'll change the way we pray. It'll change the way we think. It'll change the way we live our life. You know, the last 10 years, you, you think about 10 years, we just celebrated 10 years here, and you think about that, and you think, man, that doesn't seem like very long. 
And then you start thinking about what 10 years is. We came here, I had a, a girl in, the, in sixth grade, in, in the middle of her sixth grade year, and a, a young college student just starting college. 10 years later, I have a 21-year-old daughter who's the youth pastor of this church, has graduated college with a communications degree. I have a teacher, another daughter that's 29, almost 30, getting old girl, at 29, and, and she has a husband and two kids. I have two grandkids. I have a son. All of that and everything that goes with it has happened in 10 years. And let me just tell you something that seemed like that happened yesterday. Why? Because life doesn't wait on us. And God's time is different than ours. Because see, he, if, if we're really following Jesus, we're not operating or functioning in, in the context of time. We have been placed in the context of eternity. Amen? There's a scripture in James chapter 4, verse 3 through 17. It says this. Now listen. I don't think it actually goes through 17. Maybe 7. Uh, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow will go to this city or that, spend a year, carry on business and make money. Why do you not even know, what, when you don't even know what will happen tomorrow? What, what is your life, he asked. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, for them it's sin. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, let's look at life from God's perspective, not our perspective. God's looking at our life from the perspective of eternity, the perspective of timelessness. And when he sees our life, he's saying to us, listen, you, you we have fallen in love with the present. We have fallen in love with this life. We have fallen with love, in love with all that we think this life means. Are you with me? Matter of fact, we've stopped singing about heaven. We've stopped talking about heaven. We've stopped thinking about heaven. And when I do preach or teach or talk on these subjects or I see it done, it's amazing to me how many believers act as if they are more in love with the present and would be just fine if we just kept going like this and didn't have to bother with heaven. It's because we've allowed the world to cloud our thinking as it pertains to time. The devil, in effect, is clogging our veins with this busyness. This What, what is that stuff that gets in your veins that clogs it up and makes you have a heart problem? What is that stuff called? What is that? Cholesterol. We've got like spiritual cholesterol of, of time, ma massive bad time management for the purpose of God that is clogging up the flow of God in our lives. And we've lost vision for where God is taking us. Instead, we need a bypass, y'all. We need God to go in, clean the veins out, help make our health, heart healthy again, and to, to decide, I'm going to stop and I'm going to go back to what is God's perspective? What is his will? How does he see this this is what God says your life is like everybody watch real closely that's it all that living you're doing if you live to be 80 90 years old you live to be 120 in context with eternity that's it 
And what that says to us is, if that's it, if that's all I get, if that's it, I better do something with that. I better not let that just exist. I better not just try to survive. I don't have time to do it. I better, not, I better be more purposeful with my children and what I'm teaching them. I better be more connected to my relationship with my wife. I better be more connected to the community of faith. I better be more connected to the purpose and will of God for my life. I don't have much time. And that time matters, y'all. The Bible's very clear. What we do here matters for our future eternity. So the first thing is we have to seize the time by letting, setting our time, our clock by God's time. The second thing is redeem the time for the important things, uh, redeem the time for the important things over the urgent or meaningless things. And, and everybody knows we need to do this. I talk to people every week that say, Pastor, I've got so much going on in my life that I can't find time for the important things. And I talk to people all the time that are dealing with this. I've literally had multiple conversations in the last five days with different individuals who said, I want this to stop, but I can't seem to make it stop. So how? I love to always ask the question, yes, that's what we need to do, but how do we do it? So first, we need to re re uh, determine what we need to redeem the time for. We're redeeming time for things that don't mean anything. First and foremost, we're redeeming the time for things that keep us distracted from the things of God. So if, you, if God blesses you or something happens in your life and you redeem time for that thing, but it distracts you from the most important thing, that was not God. Are you hearing me? If you have filled your life up with things that are distracting you from the purpose, the plan, the family, the, the point and, and, and destiny of God for your life, that's not God. Even if it's, well, what if it's good things, Pastor? It's not sin. I'm not saying it's sin. But the devil will use good things to keep you from doing the God things. We fill our life up with good things all the time, but they're not, they're good. They're just meaningless. They have no purpose. They aren't connected to the kingdom whatsoever. It's like this change we need to have in our thinking and our mindset that even our vocation, we should be pursuing the vocation. Do you know the original word vocation means call? It doesn't mean job. It was a, it was, there was a doctrine that Martin Luther started, and he called it the doctrine of vocation. It means you should be working where you're gifted, where you're strong, where God has put gifts inside of you. But when you work that work, that work should be connected to the kingdom cause and purpose. Not occupational ministry, but while you're in your vocation, you are called to shine like a light. You're called to use your influence. You're called to spread the gospel. You're called to advance the kingdom. That's why you're there. That's why God placed you there. When you're mad about your boss and you're mad about your job and you're irritated with the people around you, you need to stop for a minute and say, is this my vocation? Is this the call that God has for me? And has he placed me here for a reason? That'll change the way you think because you'll think back and go, man, I only have a little bit of time here. I better do something with this. Are you with me? So determine, I've got to hurry. We determine uh, what you're using the time for. Say yes to purpose and say no to aimlessness. Say yes to intention. In other words, doing things on purpose. And say, come on, please hear me when I say this. And say no to busyness. Well, what is busyness? It's filling your life up with things that don't matter. 
things that don't connect to God and His will for your life. Are you saying never ever have fun again? Have you ever served Jesus? Like, really? It's fun. God has something more fun, more joy, better for you, but you're distracted by things that are less joy, less fun, less adventurous for you. Come, are you with me? Well, I can't do it. My kids have so many things they want to do. Say the word no. All right, let's practice. I'm going to count to three, and you say the word no. One, two, three. Now, did I say say no to everything? Did I say no to every extracurricular? Did I say say no to anything that's fun? Did I say say no to everything you don't want to do or that inconveniences you as a parent? No. But I said, when you're taking stock of your life and you want your life to have peace and you want your life to have joy, it's so funny how we're praying for peace and then filling our life with conflict. How does that make sense? It'd be like praying, God, please make me healthy in my body, but I'm going to keep eating ding-dongs. <laughs> We've all been there. Come on, somebody. Ain't nothing wrong with the ice-cold ding-dong. You know what I'm saying? Little milk. Listen, it's real. This is real. And the sad part is we all know it. Every single one of us know it. And it's not just the activities of our kids. It's our own life, the way we live our life. We fill our life up with stuff, just stuff, just stuff, stuff, stuff. And you look back on that stuff and you go, does that even, did that even, did that even matter? What difference? If I never did that, would it even make any difference? The, the problem is we don't have a problem, as much of a problem saying no to our kids as we do have saying no to ourselves. The word no is not a bad word. There's a lot of times you want to say yes and convictedly say yes. But there's a ton of times we want to say no. Because we need to ask ourselves, what is it keeping us from? And we've kind of fallen asleep on the idea. We've kind of fallen asleep on the idea of doing the will of God or following the purpose of God or the plan of God. And we find ourselves just saying yes to things. And, and sometimes it's yes. I had a family tell me one time and they came to me and said, Pastor, i got to do something. Would you sit down with me and help me like remanage and re-steward the life? I said, sure, let's sit down. And so we sat down, we thought about things, we managed through things, and they said, all right, we've decided this is what we're giving up. Because they were literally going every night of the week, every day of the weekend. They were literally going 24 hours a day. It was like they barely slept. They were just constantly moving. And they were doing all kinds of activities, all kinds of different relationships. All the relationships were pretty surface and not, as you'll see in a minute and, and not very deep because they were so relationships in passing from one activity to the next. And here's what they ended up saying. They said, we, we, we decided we're going to stop this thing. And, and, and when we do things, they're attached to people. And when they stopped doing this thing and announced it to that friend group that did that thing with them, those friends disowned them. They came to me crying. I can't believe these have been friends forever. But because we're not doing the things they're doing anymore. See, this is the thing. When we decide we're going to live our life on purpose, it, it infuriates people who don't live their life on purpose. Because it's a big, huge mirror in their face saying, this is what you should be doing. This is what you could be doing, but it's not what you're doing. Now, what are the benefits to this? The benefits are that you slow down. I don't think we would even argue the fact that we in our culture and our society need to slow down. Would anybody even argue that today? 
A lot of our mental health issues in America, I believe, are related to the fact that we will never stop. I know you've heard me preach about this before. You say, Pastor, you get on this a lot. Because I'm telling you, I'm sending a clarion call from the Lord to the church. I'm sending a message to you as the church that I'm hearing from God. You've got to stop. You're allowing your life to be run into the ground by your feelings and by your emotions and by the things you think you have to do. You remember the message we talked about last week, if you heard it online, where Mary chose the right thing and Martha chose the wrong thing. And the reason Martha chose the wrong thing is because she chose the things she felt like had to be done. These have to be done. And Jesus said, no, they don't. Sit down and listen like Mary. Why does all that have to be done? Because people are coming into our house and we want people to think this of us and we want people to... It's always what people think. It's always what society thinks. And listen, when you get off this merry-go-round, when you put your foot down and you stop, it's going to thud, y'all. I remember one time... I wish you'd throw every clock away. I remember one time where I took Taylor to the park. We used to go to the park. There's a park like right down the street from us. We go to the park. And in this park, there was a merry-go-round. And, and, and you know how kids are. We went to the, went, Sydney, we went to the, I mean, Taylor, we went to the little rocky horse thing, went to the swings, and then we finally got to the merry-go-round. So I got on the merry-go-round. And uh, I did what all good dads do. Come on. She got on the merry-go-round, and I said, I started pushing the merry-go-round. You know, she was just three or four. So I'm just pushing her going, she's just having, she's squealing. She's having such a good time. And then she says a really dangerous word. Faster, daddy. I heard it deep inside my soul. And the competitive father came out in me. And I reached back and I, whoom, I threw that thing. And then something got a hold of me. And it wasn't just competition. It was like a deep-seated, I'm going to see how fast Girl, you're going you're gonna to go faster than anybody's ever gone on a merry-go-round. I'm like, whoom. She's like, faster, daddy. Whoom. Faster, daddy. Whoom. Faster, daddy. Poof. I ran over to her. She skidded, y'all. It was like she hit the dirt. It kind of muddy out there. She hit the dirt. Boom, 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 boom. And dirt all down the front. She got it. She's like, that was so much fun. I said, listen, let's just keep this between you and me. This is a daddy-daughter thing, you know. But sometimes when we make decisions to stop things that we've allowed to become extreme, it thuds. It hurts. And here's the thing. It feels like you're not moving anymore. And you look at all those people that are on that merry-go-round, and they're moving, boy. They're going. They're really spinning, and they're really making it happen. And they look, But they're not going anywhere. Their life has no meaning. They're just going in circles, feeling like they're moving. Because the energy of urgency... The energy of being addicted to constantly going and constantly doing and constantly making things happen. It feels good. But it's not real. And why would I talk about something like this? Because we're stealing a spiritual depth from ourselves just to be busy. Say yes to purpose. Say yes to intention. Say no to busyness. Say yes to priority and no to procrastination. If it distracts you from the most important things, it needs to go or it needs to be managed better. Number three, and the last thing is this, plan your time. Plan your time. You say, well, 
really plan our time? Is that you don't want to be spontaneous in it? Lord, listen, listen. God was a planner. He created the heaven and the earth. The Bible says, God literally says, I know the end before the beginning. So what does that mean? That means he has a framework, a thinking, uh, uh, what it should look like out here, and then he builds towards it. That's called planning. And I'm just telling you, you should, number one, you should stop and think every week. You should, let's just honor the Sabbath. You know, we, we, we were, we're all in agreement that the Ten Commandments are that central point of our moral faith. And it's filled with all kinds of good things we should and should not do. And I think we're all on board with it. It encapsulates all of the principles of the law. And then Jesus, he puts it into us by fulfilling it and saying, you can fulfill the whole law by doing this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbors yourself. You do those two things, you're fulfilling that ten, those Ten Commandments, that moral law in your life. And we're all in agreement, man. We should not murder. How many of you agree? That's a, probably a good suggestion. Don't murder. How many think it's pretty good? Thou shalt not lie. How many think it's great that thou shalt not commit adultery? How about thou shalt not cover your neighbor's wife or his life? How, how about all of those things we're all in agreement with? But there's another thing on that list that we're all not in agreement with and we're all not living. And when I say all, I mean all. What is it? Honor the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. What is that? What are you saying? I'm saying there should be at least one day a week. And, and, and we as Christians, we celebrate on Sunday where you worship God, like with your whole self, corporately with your, the body of Christ. And then the rest of the day, you stop. And you rest. And you restore and you reinvigorate. God gave that to you for that purpose. Jesus said that, that, the, that the Sabbath was not given to rule over man, but man was given to rule over the Sabbath. In other words, God gave it to us for our benefit to stop, to think, to think deeply about the issues of our life, to plan what is the most important thing. It's to love God with all my heart. So I know, then I know I need to be in prayer. Then I know I need to be in church. Then I know I need to be in studying the word. Those are a given. Those need to be blocked into my week. Not Those cannot ever be things that I do when I get time. They can never be things that I do when I have time. They are things that start. They're the starting point. They're the center point. And so when we make that decision, hey, I'm going to stop. I'm going to think. God's saying you'll be restored. And here's the, here's the spiritual. You want to hear the spiritual? Everybody look at me real quick because I want you to get this. I want you to get this revelation. I don't want to just give you a teaching. I want you to get this revelation from the Holy Spirit. Listen to me. When you do this, here's what it's actually saying spiritually. God, I trust you. When, when you give a tenth, because God said give a tenth of your income, what you're saying is, God, I know if I give this back to you, it becomes holy. It's yours. It's not mine. Therefore, I know the 90% you're going to make work for me. You're going to bless it abundantly because I've honored you first. This is why Proverbs 3, 5, 6 says, trust the Lord first. Give him your first fruits. Okay? So that's talking about finances. But it's the same way. That's what the Sabbath is for time. 
He's saying, start with rest. Start with peace. Start with restoration. You're running and you're gunning and you're going. I talked to a guy the other day. He said, I know families that have gone bankrupt because of this kind of living. I know families who have lost their children because of this kind of living. And we think we're doing it for them. We're not. We're creating in them this busyness culture that they're not going to be satisfied unless they are moving 90 to nothing. If their wife or husband wants to be more slow and more methodical, they're not going to be happy with their marriage. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Our future is being developed in our present. And our present has been developed by our past because we grew up. Some of our parents weren't very well. They didn't have much. And we determined, I'm going for it. And money and moving and people and uh, approval has become a little more important to us than Jesus. So I'm asking you, I'm, I'm challenging you, plan. Plan. And when you plan, put the things in that are the most important. Plan from a smart kind of mind frame. Some of you have probably read this or studied this somewhere, but be specific. Narrow it down. Can't be broad. Make it measurable. In other words, this is what I'm going to do. You can see it. It's not just qualitative. It's quantitative. Make it actionable. It's something you can do. Be realistic. It needs to stretch you, but not break you. Time-based, have a deadline. And then and then when you're setting goals and you're setting that plan and you're making that plan, have a couple of things in there that Jim Collins calls BHAGs. Big, hairy, audacious goals. Not all of your goals that way, but some, two, maybe one or two. Because you need something in your life that says, God's got to get involved for that to happen. So your faith is stretched. Listen, purposeful living, intentional living is what God wants for you. So act on life instead of letting it act on you. If you don't know why... Uh, why? If you don't know why, listen to me. Every, you need to go through everything you're doing and involved in today. And you need to ask yourself, why am I doing that? And if you can't clearly find purpose in it, if it really doesn't point to some kind of edification or building up or intentionality, you need to get rid of it. You just need to be gutsy enough to say, it's not ruling my life anymore. And, and, and then let's keep the Sabbath. Living without being intentional, listen to what I'm saying, living without being intentional is literally, it's just living for future regret. That's what it is. I'm closing. Stand with me. You hear what I'm saying to you, church? Our intentional living should be based on the purpose of God's kingdom. We should operate in the pattern or model that God uses. And what is, the, what is the model that God uses? Purpose, process, and production. In other words, God has a purpose for us. And then he has a process he'll take us through to produce what he wants in our life. So don't jump ship and don't fill your life so full of stuff that he can't take you through that process. Because you're impeding the process by your constant movement. Are you hearing me? Is this good to anybody? Are you learning anything today? Is this challenging you? I, listen, I hope, I hope we're a little bit, I'm going to say something to you, it might offend you a little bit. I hope we're a little bit convicted. Because I'm not just talking to you, I'm talking to me. And here's what I want to say to you. There is, I'm not saying that your life should be lazy. 
And I'm not saying your life is not going to be full and even busy, but there's a good busy and there's a bad busy. And far too many of us are operating and functioning every day bad busy where it's wearing our life out. It's wearing our kids out. It's wearing our mind out. It's wearing our heart out. And it's definitely wearing our spiritual life out. See and do all of the things through this biblical worldview. Wouldn't it be amazing? Wouldn't it be amazing at the end of every year, at the end of our lives, we could look back on our lives and in our relationship with God and with our family and God's purpose for every aspect and be able to say, I wasn't perfect. I made mistakes. But I did my best by the power of the Holy Spirit and according to the Word of God. I seized the time God gave me. I planned, I purposed, I patterned my time after God and I used it wisely. I had understanding. I made a positive impact on the world. I brought people to Jesus. I loved my family into the kingdom of God. I lived intentionally for the love of Jesus and to make it a difference. My, my life counted. It meant something. It's gone very fast, but I didn't let it get away from me. I made it count for the cross. Paul did this very thing at the end of his life. He said, I fought a good fight. I finished my race. I kept the faith. That's this year for us, y'all. Come on, we're going to make some adjustments because we believe that God is wanting to favor Summit Church and bless Summit Church and anoint Summit Church to do something significant. Now, I'm letting you go in just a moment after I bless you, but I want, it, I want you to hear me right now. We've been praying like crazy. Janae and I, our team, our families, we've been praying like crazy, our elders. We've been asking God, God, what do you want to do? And we came out clearly, God has said, I want you to start asking for my favor. I want to do some significant things in your church this year. I want you to start asking for my favor. 2022 is gone. The things that have come with this stuff that we've gone through in the last three years, gone. We need to look at it as history. And we need to catch hold of the favor of God and believe Him to do the things. And here's what that means. The Bible says in Psalms chapter 1, verse 1, Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of the sinner, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the Word of God. And in that Word he meditates day and night, and he shall be like a tree that's planted by the river of water that brings forth fruit in its season. Its leaves will not wither, and whatsoever it does, it shall prosper. Listen, we live in a dry place, but I'm telling you, God doesn't want our spiritual life to be dry. He wants to place you by the river. He wants to bear fruit through your life. He wants your leaves to stay full and green all year round. He wants whatever you put your hand to, to prosper. His purpose prosper in your life. His will prosper in your life. His way prosper in your life. Your kids prosper in your life. Come on. Let's put God first and let's put our, if we want our kids to turn out, if we don't want this culture to get them then let's stop putting them at the altar of busyness and put them at the altar of Jesus and say, God, here they are. They're yours. Take them, favor them, bless them, use them, and do your will in their life. Come on, are you with me, church? Do you want to redeem the time? Redeem the time. Thank you for being a part of the Summit Church podcast today. We pray that God used today's podcast to draw you closer to Him. You can stay in the know at Summit by following us on social media. Thank you again for being a part. This is the Summit Church Podcast.